Chapter Twenty Nine of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter Twenty Nine How I Heard English Spoken Here. I suppose I must have dropped asleep some time, but it seemed to me that I was lying awake watching for the daylight, which seemed as if it would never come. Then I dropped soundly asleep and slept some hours, for when I opened my eyes with a start, there was one of the blacks leaning over me with some cords in his hands, with which he seemed to be about to bind me. But a shout outside took his attention, and he went out, leaving me trembling with anxiety and crushing the note in my hand. It was broad daylight with brilliant sunshine without, but my prison was windowless, and where I lay was in the shadow, save where here and there a pencil of light shone through the palm-leaf thatch and made a glowing spot upon the floor. Every moment I expected to see my guard back again, or I might be interrupted, I knew, by the coming of someone with food. I dared not then attempt to read for some time, since it seemed like too great a risk of losing words that were inexpressibly precious. At last all seemed so still but the buzz and hum of distant voices that I determined to venture, and, undoing my hot hand, I unfolded the little scrap of paper upon which, written closely but clearly, were the following words. As we are so near a village of the blacks, and you have not returned, I have concluded you have been made a prisoner. Jip found your scent and went off, returning after many hours' absence, so I write these lines to bid you be of good heart, for we shall try by stratagem to get you away. Then there was this, evidently written the next day. Jip has been again and brought back the above lines which I tied to his collar. If you get them, tie something to the dog's collar to show you are alive and well. Poor Jimmy went in search of you, but has not yet returned. Tie something to the dog's collar to show you are alive and well, I said to myself over and over again, as I carefully secreted the scrap of paper. A needless task, as... If it had been seen, no one would have paid any heed to it. And I have tied something to the dog's collar, and they will come, the doctor and Jack Penny with the blacks, tonight to try to save me, and I shall escape. I stopped here, for the words seemed wild and foolish. How could they rescue me? And besides, ought I not to feel glad that I was here among the natives of the island? What better position could I be in for gaining information about my father? I lay thinking like this for long, and every hour it seemed that my injured head and my cut wrists and ankles were healing. The confused feeling had passed away, leaving nothing but stiffness and soreness, while the message I had received gave me what I wanted worst, hope. I did not see Jimmy that day, for he was not brought out, neither was I taken to the tree. But I saw that the savage who brought me food had a double quantity, 
and to prove that some of it was meant for my fellow prisoner i soon afterwards heard him shout mass joe come have nana come have plantain nana this he repeated until i uttered a long low whistle one which he had heard me use scores of times and to which he replied an hour after he whistled again but i could not reply for three or four of the blacks were in the hut with me evidently for no other purpose than to watch that night i lay awake trembling and anxious i wanted to have something ready to send back by the dog when it came at night but try how i would i could contrive nothing i had no pencil or paper no point of any kind to scratch a few words on a piece of bark no piece of bark if i had had a point as it happened though i lay awake the dog did not come and when the morning came though i was restless and feverish i was more at rest in my mind for i thought i saw my way to communicate a word or two with the doctor i was unbound now and therefore had no difficulty in moving about the hut from whose low roof after a good deal of trying i at last obtained a piece of palm leaf that seemed likely to suit my purpose this done my need was a point of some kind a pin a nail the tongue of a buckle a hard sharp piece of wood and i had neither but i had hope several different blacks had taken their places at the door of my hut and i was waiting patiently for the one to return who sat there carving his waddy handle when he came i hoped by some stratagem to get hold of the sharp bit of flint to scratch my palm leaf fortunately towards midday this man came and after a good look at me where i lay he stuck his spear in the earth and squatted down took out his flint and waddy and began once more to laboriously cut zigzag lines that formed the ornamentation i lay there hungrily watching him hour after hour vainly trying to think out some plan and when i was quite in despair the black boy whom i had not seen for many hours came sauntering up in an indifferent way to stand talking to my guard for some minutes and then entered the hut to stand looking down at me i was puzzled about that boy for at times i thought him friendly at others disposed to treat me as an enemy but my puzzled state was at an end for as soon as i began to make signs he watched me eagerly and tried to comprehend i had hard work to make him understand by pointing to the savage outside then pretending to hack at my finger as if carving it jimmy would have understood in a moment but it was some time before the boy saw what i meant then his face lit up and he slowly sauntered away as if in the most careless of moods poising his spear and throwing it at trees stooping leaping playing at being a warrior of his tribe so it seemed to me till he disappeared among the trees the sun was sinking low but he did not return i saw him pass by with the tall painted warrior then go out of sight my food had been given me but i had not seen jimmy though we had corresponded together by making a few shrill parrot-like whistles night would soon be upon me once again and when gyp came if he did come i should not be ready 
I was just thinking like this when there was a slight tap beside me, and turning quickly I saw a sharp pointed piece of stone upon the beaten earth floor, and as I reached out my hand to pick it up a piece of white wood struck me on the hand, making a sharp metallic sound. I felt that there was danger and half threw myself over my treasures, looking dreamily out at the entrance and remaining motionless, as my guard entered to stare round suspiciously, eyeing me all over, then going slowly back. I breathed more freely and was thinking as I saw him settle down that I might at any time begin to try and carve a word or two, and in this mind I was about to take the piece of wood from beneath me when the savage swung himself round and sprang into the hut in a couple of bounds. He had meant to surprise me if I had been engaged upon any plan of escape, but finding me perfectly motionless, he merely laughed and went back. Directly after, another savage came up and took his place, and I eagerly began my task. Very easy it sounds to carve a few letters on a piece of wood, but how hard I found it before I managed to roughly cut the words, All Well having selected these because they were composed of straight lines, which mine were not. Still I hoped that the doctor would make them out, and I hid my piece of flint and my wooden note, and waited, meaning to keep awake, till the dog came. But I had been awake all the previous night, and I fell fast asleep, till Jip came and roused me by scratching at my chest when in a dreamy, confused way I found and took something from the dog's collar and tied my note in its place, falling asleep directly after, from sheer exhaustion. It was broad daylight when I awoke, and my first thought was of my message, when, thrusting my hand into my breast, a curious sensation of misery came over me as my hand came in contact with a piece of wood, and it seemed that I had been dreaming and the dog had not come. I drew out the flat piece of white wood, but it was not mine. The doctor, probably having no paper, had hit upon the same plan as I. His words were few. Be on the alert. We shall come some night. I thrust the wooden label beneath the dust of the floor and scraped some more earth over it and already saw myself at liberty, and in the joy of my heart I uttered a long parrot-like whistle but it was not answered. I whistled again, but there was no reply, and though I kept on making signals for quite an hour, no response came, and the joyousness began to fade out of my breast. Twice over that morning I saw the tall savage who was so diabolically painted and tattooed go by, and once I thought he looked very hard at my hut, but he soon passed out of my sight leaving me wondering whether he was the chief from his being so much alone and the curious way in which all the people seemed to get out of his path. Once or twice he came near enough for me to see him better, and I noticed that he walked with his eyes fixed upon the ground in a dreamy way, full of dignity, and I felt certain now that he must be the king of these people. The next day came and I saw him again in the midst of quite a crowd, who had borne one of their number into the middle of the enclosure of huts, and this time I saw the tall, strange-looking savage go slowly down upon his knees, 
and soon after rise and motion with his hands, when everyone but the boy fell back. He alone knelt down on one side of what was evidently an injured man. The blacks kept their distance religiously till the painted savage signed to them once more, when they ran forward and four of their number lifted the prostrate figure carefully and carried it into a hut. I was right, I said to myself, with a feeling of satisfaction. I was right the first time. It is the doctor, and he ought to have come to my help when I was so bad. Two days, three days passed, during which I lay and watched the birds that flitted by, saw the people as they came and went, and from time to time uttered a signal whistle. But this had to be stopped, for on the afternoon of the third day, a very tall savage entered hurriedly in the for on the afternoon of the third day a very tall savage entered hurriedly in company with my guard and a half a dozen more and by signs informed me that if i made signals again my life would be taken it was very easy to understand, for spears were pointed at me, and war-clubs tapped me, not very lightly, upon the head. As soon as I was left alone I sat thinking, and before long came to the conclusion that this was probably the reason why I had not heard any signal from Jimmy, who had perhaps been obstinate and consequently had been treated with greater severity. I longed for the night to come when I might have some fresh message from the doctor, but somehow I could not keep awake, anxious as I was, and I was sleeping soundly when a touch woke me with a start. I threw up my hands to catch Jip by the collar, but to my consternation I touched a hand and arm in the darkness, and there was something so peculiar in the touch my hand seeming to rest on raised lines of paint, that I turned cold, for I knew that one of the savages was bending over me, and I felt it must mean that my time had come. I should have called out, but a hand was laid over my lips, and an arm pressed my chest as a voice whispered in good English, Run! Escape! You can't stay here! Who is it? I whispered back, trembling with excitement. I know, I added quickly, you're the tall savage, the doctor. Yes, yes, he said in a low dreamy tone, the tall savage, yes, tall savage. But you're an Englishman, I panted, with a terrible... As a terrible thought, half painful, half filled with hope, flashed through my brain. Englishman, yes, Englishman, before I was here, before I was ill. Come, quick, escape for your life go. And you? He was silent. So silent I put out my hands and touched him, to make sure he had not gone, and I found that he was resting his head upon my... and I found that he was resting his head upon his hands. Will you go with me to my friends? I said, trembling still, for the thought that had come to me was gaining strength. Friends, he said softly, friends. Yes, Yes, I had friends before I came. Before I came. He said this in a curious, dreamy tone, and I forced the idea back. It was impossible, but at the same time my heart leapt for joy. Here was an Englishman dwelling among the savages, a prisoner, 
or one who had taken up this life willingly, and if he could dwell among them, so could my father, who must be somewhere here. Tell me, I began, but he laid his hands upon my lips. Yes, not a sound, he said. The people sleep lightly. Come with me. He took my hand in his and led me out boldly past a black who was lying a short distance from my hut, and then right across the broad opening surrounded by the natives' dwellings, and then through a grove of trees to a large hut standing by itself. He pressed my hand hard and led me through the wide opening into what seemed to be a blacker darkness, which did not, however, trouble him, for he stepped out boldly, and then I heard a muttering growl which I recognized directly. "'Hush, Jimmy,' I whispered, throwing myself upon my knees. "'Don't speak.' "'Jimmy, not a go to speak em,' he said softly. "'Mass Joe, come a top.' "'Go,' said my companion. "'Go quick. I want to help. I... the fever. My head. Help.' There was another pause, and on stretching out my hand I found that my guide was pressing his to his forehead once again. He has lived this savage life so long that he cannot think, I felt, as taking his hand I led him to the opening, through which he passed in silence, and with Jimmy walking close behind he led us between a couple more huts, then for a good hour between tall trees so close together that we threaded our way with difficulty. My companion did not speak, and at last the silence grew so painful that I asked him how long it would be before daybreak. "'Hush,' he said. "'Listen. They have found out.' He finished in an excited way, repeating hastily some native words, before stooping to listen, when, to my dismay, plainly enough in the silence of the night, came the angry murmur of voices and this probably meant pursuit, perhaps capture, and then death. End of chapter 29 How I Heard English Spoken Here